Let's chat about how to get what you need for your home when you don't have a lot of cash or credit. You can do that at Aaron's. Rent to own appliances, furniture, and tech from top brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. But say you don't need it anymore, no problem. At Aaron's, you can return your product at any time or even upgrade it for something new. Life's always changing. With Aaron's, your stuff can change right along with it. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. See your local store for details. I'm John Seifer. And I'm Jerry O'Shea. We spent over 30 years in the CIA uncovering global conspiracies. Conspiracies aren't just a theory to us, which is why we started our podcast, Mission Implausible. Everyone has questions about conspiracy theories, but with our background, we can actually answer those questions. Anyone can just start screaming about microchips and Jewish space lasers, but it's our mission to remove the bull and get down to what's real. Listen to Mission Implausible on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way. A brand new show from My Heart Podcast where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The volume. Get in on the action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers who deposit $5 or more can get a no-sweat bet up to $1,000 back in a bonus bet. I was looking at NBA futures this morning. The Golden State Warriors are plus 5,500 right now on DraftKings to win the title. So if you believe in them, that's a big number. And Denver, I have Denver as my championship favorite, and they're still the second best odds on DraftKings right now at plus 450. So lots of good NBA bets to look at over the course of the end of the season. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code HOOPS. New customers can get a no-sweat bet up to $1,000 if your first bet loses. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code HOOPS. That's H-O-O-P-S. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. One no sweat bet per new customer issued as one bonus bet based on amount of initial losing bet. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash promos for deposit, wagering, and eligibility restrictions, terms, and responsible gambling resources. All right, welcome to Hoops tonight here at The Volume. Happy Sunday, everybody. Hope all of you guys are having an incredible weekend. We got a kind of a funky schedule over the next couple of days. We're going twice today. This video, we're just hitting Lakers, Suns, 
And then the Milwaukee Bucks went into Minnesota and beat the Timberwolves pretty soundly on Friday night. We're going to be talking about that game and just some interesting stuff I noticed on tape as it relates to both teams. Later tonight, we're going live after the final buzzer of Warriors Nuggets, so keep an eye out for that. Monday, we'll be breaking down a couple other games from today as well as our power rankings. Then we're taking Tuesday off because I'm going skiing. So just a little bit of a funky schedule over the next few days. But Lakers, Suns, and Bucks, Wolves over the course of today, uh, over this particular show. You guys know the drill before we get started. Subscribe to our brand new YouTube channel. It mean a lot to me if you guys would take a second to hit that subscribe button. Don't forget about our podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts under hoops tonight. Also, it's super helpful if you leave a, lady, uh, a rating and a review on that front. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at underscore JasonLT, where I put film threads as well as show announcements. And then last but not least, keep dropping mailbag questions. Probably hit some uh, throughout the week next week. All right, let's talk some basketball. So this game, the starters played relatively even. LeBron had it going early to kind of keep the Lakers close, but the Suns just got insanely hot at the end of the first quarter. And, you know, I watched the film and I didn't even necessarily think the Lake, the Lakers were being lazy or disengaged. Like there were a couple of missed rotations, like Austin missed uh, Royce O'Neal on a rotation at the top of the key, but the Suns just made shots and that's what they can do. That's their superpower. That's the thing that they do better than most teams in the league, right? Like Devin Booker and Kevin Durant both hit really tough pull-up jump shots in that stretch. Uh, Kevin, uh, Devin Booker hit an and one in the middle of the floor. Grayson Allen and Royce O'Neal both hit shots. Even Bull Bull hit a three out of the left corner, punishing LeBron James for helping off of him. And then had another play where he drove the baseline off of a closeout out of that left corner and hit a little floater. As a matter of fact, in the game, the Suns had 34 spot-up possessions, which is a ton, and converted those into 1.12 points per possession, which is outstanding. The Suns went up by 20 there in the first quarter. Lakers kind of methodically worked their way back into the game, running their solid five-out offense. Get it, they got out and transitioned a lot off of Suns' turnovers in this game, making extra efforts on defense. And then we get to the fourth quarter, the fourth quarter where the Suns have had so many issues throughout the season this year. Even after today, the Suns have an offensive rating of 103.5 in fourth quarters this year. That is dead last in the NBA. It's been a pretty consistent issue, but much better in this fourth quarter, 28 points, a 117 offensive rating. Now, what typically has been an issue for them in the past is Devin Booker and Kevin Durant struggling to handle double teams as the game progresses, as teams get more and more aggressive on them. And then off the ball, guys failing to make teams pay for leaving them open, for giving them advantage situations. I thought Kevin Durant was magnificent in this fourth quarter. He had one pass to the short roll where he didn't see AD coming from like the left uh, elbow extended. AD jumped in and stole it from uh, a, a blocked in, or jumped into that passing lane and stole that pass to the short roller. But outside of that, Kevin Durant was like nearly perfect in that fourth quarter with his decision making. Just, you know, coming off a ball screen hard, hitting Nurkic with a perfect pocket pass to get him downhill to the rim. Drawing a double team and making that quick swing pass to Royce O'Neal who makes that extra pass to the corner, to, uh, uh, to the shooter. Like it just... It looked a lot more smooth and decisive, quick and decisive from Kevin Durant. When when KD and Devin Booker in those situations have struggled this year, it's usually picking up their dribble and then the pressure coming up on them and them struggling to get the pass over the top to the right spot without a deflection or something that slows the pass down so the defense can rotate out of it. 
quick and decisive is the best way to beat those traps. KD had a much, much better fourth quarter on that side of the floor. And then I thought he had one of the biggest plays in the game when it was 110 to 104. First of all, I want to credit Royce O'Neal. LeBron isos Royce O'Neal on the right side of the floor and just played. One of the things I talk about with Royce, he just plays physical defense. That's what allows him to defend multiple different positional archetypes because Quick enough, uh, quick enough and active enough to defend a smaller guard, but he also is physical enough to defend a bigger, stronger player like LeBron James. And LeBron had, you know, had some success against him throughout the game. He had like a spinning baseline dunk on him in the first half. But like on this particular play, big, big, big play in the game. It's 110-104. Lakers are on a little bit of a run. Anthony Davis got that pull up or that uh, catch and shoot jump shot. Uh, from the mid-range going, he also had a little floater off of a pocket pass from Austin Reeves. Looks like we have ourselves a game there down the stretch. LeBron drives in, Royce gets physical with him and gets him to miss the layup. Again, LeBron's probably going to make that 8 out of 10 times, but how do you get to the 2 out of 10 where he's going to miss? By bumping him off of his base and making it a little bit more difficult. Big play from Royce O'Neal. They go to the other end of the floor, and in kind of a chaotic situation, Kevin Durant made a really, really smart play. LeBron James was kind of in a ball denial situation on the left wing. He cut back door on LeBron, something LeBron has done a lot this season to generate shots at the end of games. Uh, a backdoor pass hits him right on the uh, right on the cut, draws that second defender, makes the kickout pass to Grayson Allen in the right corner, who hits the biggest shot of the game to put them up 113-104. to 104. By the way, Royce O'Neal and Grayson Allen made 12 threes in this game. Royce made one on the next possession because Anthony Davis fell over into camera row, ended up in an advantage situation. The Suns uh, had a five on four. They made a, uh, Kevin Durant made a swing pass to Royce on the left wing. He hit the three. Just just dagger after dagger after dagger. I swear it felt like every single one of those Royce O'Neal or Grayson Allen threes felt like an absolute backbreaker. Yusuf Nurkic was incredible in this game. Had seven offensive rebounds has pretty consistently given uh uh like like pretty pretty great two-way efforts over the course of the last few weeks a guy that i think I, a, a lot of times reputation doesn't actually match up with reality with basketball players and here's the thing like reputation is well earned Yusuf Nurkic earned a reputation as being a guy who could be a limited defensive player, as guys struggle sometimes with the dirty work because of what happened in his past, but that doesn't mean you can't earn yourself a new reputation. I think Yusuf Nurkic has been pretty awesome on the defensive end over the course of the last few weeks. Uh, getting a lot, he's just super active with his hands, and he's pretty smart at anticipating what's going to happen around him. And he gets a lot more in the way of deflections and blocks than I think people realize relative to what his reputation is around the league. And in addition to that, he's an excellent screener. He's a big body that can cause problems on the offensive glass. Again, seven offensive rebounds in this game. Anthony Davis, for all of his things that he's great at, he can struggle with the big-bodied centers that can bury him underneath the basket. It's actually something to keep in mind for the Lakers because to get out of the Western Conference, you're probably going to have to go through two of Yusuf Nurkic, Avika Zubac, or you know Nikola Jokic, these big-bodied centers. And those guys are the kinds of guys that can give AD some issues on the offensive glass. But he was burying AD on the glass. Every time AD had to come off of him to help on some sort of screening action, Nurkic would be there to clean up the mess on the back line. He was awesome. Devin Booker, after the game, was talking about how specifically Yusuf Nurkic is of great value to them and that every time he's missed a game this year, they've lost and how they've missed that. And like, here's the thing. There's no doubt that the Suns will probably need to have a, a KD at center look just for brief spurts over the course of the postseason to just kind of change the tone of games or maybe close against a specific matchup. But Yusuf Nurkic is the anchor of that team on both ends of the floor in terms of their physicality. This is a team that can struggle a little bit with physicality. 
Nurkic brings a ton of physicality to the table. And I got to say, he has changed for me personally. Like the way that I view Yusuf Nurkic's basketball has changed markedly from training camp to this point, especially as of late, just with how much he's competing in the details around the floor. Uh, big win for the Suns. They needed that one. They had just lost two straight. On the Lakers front, I saw a lot of negativity from Lakers fans in this one. Honestly, like, I thought they played really hard. And, like, this is kind of what it's like in the Western Conference. Phoenix is a really good team. They have two of the top 15 players in the league on their team. They had just lost two in a row, including three of their last five. They needed a game. And when you go on the road in the Western Conference to a really good team who needs to win a game, sometimes you're just going to lose. And, like, there were a lot of, like... Like I, I, there were several players in in particular, I thought D'Angelo Russell and Austin Reeves really, really were making efforts in rotation to contest shots and to try to get in there and help on the glass. But like sometimes you just run into a team that's really, really good at what they do, and no matter what you do to try to stop them from doing what they do, they make the shots anyway. And that they kind of just felt like that type of game to me on the Lakers front. Like I really wasn't disappointed process wise like they were helping a little bit too much but not not in a way that I thought was really problematic for the personnel they they the Suns made shots you got to tip the cap they gave up a lot of offensive rebounds but most of that was personnel and that brings me to my one gripe so in a game where you could not grab a rebound to save your life which was Basically, the difference in the game, like the Lakers outshot the Suns from the field. They outshot them from three. They won the points in the paint battle. They took good care of the basketball. They turned Phoenix over and got out in transition and scored. Like they did a lot of really good things in this game. Phoenix just dominated the possession battle. They had 14 offensive rebounds to three for the Lakers. They were up 22 to 10 in second chance points in a game that they won by 10 points. That was the difference in the game. And that's where I have a problem with Darvin Ham and his rotational approach because Torian Prince and Spencer Dinwiddie played 50 minutes in this game. Ruby Hachimura and Jackson Hayes played 32. And this is one of my like biggest pet peeves when it comes to coaches when they try to inflict their specific basketball philosophy on a roster rather than identifying what their roster is capable of and just leaning into its strengths. So Darvin Ham has all year long overplayed Torian Prince. It's been a consistent issue. And in general, it's like done a lot of like we saw this even last year, a lot of like three guard lineups and things along those lines. So I'm not surprised that he leaned on Spencer Dinwiddie a lot in this game. Here's where I don't understand. Torian Prince is not actually giving you what his archetype typically provides. Like I understand the thought process. Darvin Ham is thinking I run a five out offense and I love to pressure the ball and try to funnel guys into Anthony Davis, right? Torian Prince in theory is a wing defender that can pressure the basketball, navigate screens, has some length, can kind of like do his job on the defensive end of the floor. On the offensive end, in theory, he's a good five-out wing because he can take and make catch-and-shoot threes, has a little bit off the dribble pop, a guy that kind of like knows how to play alongside other good players. In theory, it makes some sense. The problem is Torian's not actually very good at any of that. And so what ends up happening, like he's a bench player. He's good enough to do that in bench lineups for small spurts. That's what Torian Prince's role is on this particular team, right? But the problem is he's being given, in most cases, more than he can handle. He is being slotted by Darvin Ham into a role that he's going to fail because he's not personally really fit for that specific role. And, and, and so as a result, like, here's the thing. Rui Hachimura, 
won't navigate screens as well as Torian Prince. Rui Hachimura maybe isn't as good at like fluid five-man, five-out basketball as a guy like Torian Prince is, right? But here's the thing. He's just a better basketball player. He's a better basketball player. And so whatever you're not getting there can help in other areas. And for the record, like, I think you can do, like, I thought at the beginning of the game, they started with Rui on KD and they like switched Nurkic KD pick and rolls. And he got burned one time where he ended up on the top side and they threw the pass over the top to Nurkic and he slipped downhill and ended up getting a layup. But like, for the most part, that's a matchup that I actually think can work. Switching that action. I think Rui can bang with Nurkic. He actually got him to miss a shot out of the post. Obviously, AD can work with uh, uh, with Kevin Durant on the perimeter. It's just one of those things where like I would have leaned into that more. But they didn't. They leaned into lesser players. And again, Jackson Hayes, like I, I get it. He didn't play well in his short burst today. But it's like like I, I would like to see in the big picture, Darvin Ham lean more into size. Lean more into mainly just because that's their best players. Those are their best players. And there will be matchups where it makes sense to play a Spencer Dinwiddie at the three. Or maybe even a Torian Prince at the two next to like a Rui Hachimura, depending on the matchup. But for the most part, it's going to have to be based on like how the game is progressing. And in this particular game, you weren't getting anything on offense out of Torian Prince or Spencer Dinwiddie. You weren't getting the benefits of what they brought to the table, but you were getting the downsides. And like, I would have been in a situation where I would have thought at the very least with Rui out there in a larger dose, I can hold up better on the defensive glass, maybe uh, hold up better in the possession battle. Because in the half court, the Lakers and the Suns were actually relatively even in this particular game. And so just something to keep an eye on. It's something I talked about from the moment that uh, um, that I kind of started to pick up on Darvin Ham's you know, affinity for Torian Prince this season. Doesn't really matter what they trade for. Doesn't really matter what the, what kind of personnel is on the roster if inferior players are playing over better players that you have uh, uh, um, available to you. And so I thought that I thought that was kind of like the one gripe that I had. But for the record, sometimes like Darvin Ham might have played Torian uh, Torian Prince fifteen minutes and played Rui Hachimura thirty eight minutes, and they might have still lost because again, like I said. Phoenix is really good. They just lost two in a row. They're at home. That's what it's like sometimes in the NBA. And so I, I don't want to overreact to it. Again, with the Lakers, I don't view them as some sort of legitimate title contender anymore since they weren't able to make an upgrade at the deadline. And so I'm not really all that high on them to begin with. And this is the kind of game that you almost kind of expect them to lose, right? Uh, they do have a lot of home games as we head into early March against really good opponents. Maybe they can tighten some things up there and, and, and get a little bit sharper, but like I'm not super optimistic about them in the big picture anyway. All right, moving on to Bucks Wolves. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It is an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. CJ will bring his A-list comedian buddies to keep it light and fire off some hoops takes. Plus, John will be inviting current and former NBA players, friends, and teammates to join the show as well to give their unfiltered accounts of what really goes on in the league from a player's perspective. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury 
the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Ever needed something for your home but don't have the cash or credit to pay for it? Let's chat about how to get what you need when you need it. You can do that at errands. Yep, you can rent to own appliances like washers, dryers, or refrigerators, furniture for your living room or bedroom, even tech like computers and gaming systems. Plus, errands has great brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. And you can pay a little at a time until it's yours forever. But here's the cool part. Say you're renting a 65-inch smart TV and decide you don't want it anymore. At Aaron's, you can return it at any time. Or maybe you want to downsize to a 55-inch or upgrade to an 86-inch. You can do that too. Return it, then take home something new. Life's always changing. With Aaron's, your stuff can change right along with it. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. So check out your nearest Aaron's store or visit Aaron's.com for more details. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. See your local store for details. So the Bucks actually had a huge win today on the road in Philly. They won by 21 points. I didn't actually watch that game, though. I did watch them go in on Friday night and dominate the Wolves, though. And so that's what I want to talk about in today's game, So or today's show. So they go on a huge run in the third quarter. They get stop after stop after stop. They get out in transition. I thought Dame and Giannis both did an absolutely fantastic job of applying rim pressure and making good kickout passes. Then they were working the ball around. Malik Beasley was just completely scorching hot, hit a bunch of threes during that run. Dame hit a bunch of nasty pull-up jumpers in that stretch. Giannis hit a three off the bounce uh, there in the middle of the third quarter, and they just blew Minnesota's doors off. It was crazy. It was like a close game, and then all of a sudden they were up 20. It was like it was, it was was pretty wild. But uh, Minnesota made a little bit of a late comeback, but it was never truly a game after that. But Brooke Lopez was unbelievable in this game. He dominated on the defensive end, which I want to dive deeper into here in just a minute. But he also came out red hot from three, hit a bunch of big shots early in the game. He's averaging two made threes per game over his last seven games, albeit on massive volume. He's actually taking 6.4 per game. It's crazy watching the Bucks now because Brooks like straight up playing with a massive green light. Uh, but I wanted to I wanted to dive into the Bucks drop coverage in this particular game because that was basically the story of this game. The uh uh like Brooke Lopez was guarding Rudy Gobert and just sitting comically far back into the paint. So what that does is it puts your on-ball guy in a little bit of a predicament because he's basically playing one-on-two, right? Like he's trying to guard Ant or whoever, Mike Conley, whoever it is that has the ball, but he's got a screener and he's not getting any help at the perimeter. So his only real job there is to try to fight over the top of the screen and try to get a contest. But Rudy Gobert's a really good screener. And so most of the time, like he is getting a solid screen set on the ball, right? But there's a specific reason why this works for Milwaukee. And this is actually a very similar thing to what I was talking about earlier with the Lakers as it pertains to playing into your strengths. Like this particular roster, 
the strength of their defense is on the interior. So it actually doesn't make sense to over uh, over index towards the ball handler to try to shut down the ball handler at the expense of giving up layups and threes. That's not that's not the strength of your defense. You're actually better off allowing the ball handler to be more comfortable but stay home off the ball and try to force them into making a lot of really difficult shots in the mid-range. And so again, let, if I want to start by just looking at it from the standpoint of what a drop coverage looks like. So I want to look at just the first possession of the game. You can actually find this clip on my Twitter feed at underscore Jason LT. It was from Saturday morning, if I remember correctly. So the, the first play of the game was a turnover for Mike Conley in pick and roll. So if you watch the play, Mike Conley is being guarded by Dame. Rudy Gobert comes up and sets a screen <laughs> to Dame's credit. And he's been doing this really since Doc took over. Really good job fighting over the top of the screen. But Brook Lopez is just sitting way back in the paint. So even though Conley gets downhill and actually beats Dame, uh, like, again, that's what you expect, right? When you have a ball screen, it's really difficult to get back in front of the ball handler, right? Mike Conley's going downhill, but Brook is waiting there. And he's able to effectively split the difference between Conley and Gobert rolling to the rim. Now, why is this important? Because now you can defend the action two-on-two. Because you can defend the action two-on-two, Jay Crowder, who's on the weak side, and I think he was guarding Jaden McDaniels, if I remember correctly, but I'm not 100% certain, guarding on the weak side, he's able to stay on the ball, or on his man. And so because he's staying on his man, as Mike Conley works towards the baseline, and he's there getting attacked by Brooke, he's got to get rid of the basketball. But now he doesn't have an outlet because Jay Crowder doesn't have to help. If Brooke is higher in his drop coverage, now Jay Crowder likely has to come over to help in the paint. But because Brooke is back, Jay can stay out, which takes away those kickout passes. That was basically the story of the game. The Bucks played Minnesota into their worst tendencies because they are not a very good shot-making team. They can make threes off the catch. They're a good catch-and-shoot team. But Anthony Edwards is a high-volume pull-up shooter who's not particularly accurate. Mike Conley is an accurate pull-up shooter who's not particularly aggressive. And so as a result of that, it played Minnesota into their worst tendencies. And it was a lot of playing pick-and-roll as Brooks sat back into the paint and guys missing pull-up shots and floaters. It was a lot of attacking in ISO while Brooke is just sitting in the paint waiting. And for all the, you know, a lot of criticism about Rudy Gobert over the years defensively is just inaccurate. And I've talked about that on the, sh on the show before, so I'm not going to get into it. But where Rudy Gobert has struggled in the past is he's not enough of a threat offensively. Like, he can get a few offensive rebounds, he presents some vertical spacing, but he's not sharp enough when it comes to scoring on the roll. Like, he doesn't catch and finish super well. And so, on offense, it can turn into a situation where where Rudy can't actually make Brooke pay enough for ignoring him. And that leads into a lot of their issues. And so I, I, I want to tie that back into two things. First of all, that is Milwaukee's best chance. They will never be an elite defense because they don't have the perimeter uh, personnel to do so. But their pathway to defending as well as they possibly can or well enough for them to get to the trophy is that deep drop coverage because it allows them to cover two-on-two two and stay out of rotation. Essentially, taking away layups and taking away threes 
while conceding comfort and rhythm to the ball handler. The next question is that in that is which matchups will that work in? And this is where it becomes really interesting in the playoffs because a team like New York, maybe Jalen Brunson will kill you and maybe that's not going to work. A team like Miami, they've got a lot of guys like Duncan Robinson and Tyler Harrow who can really do some damage if you chase over the top and they get some good screens from Bam Adebayo, right? Terry Rozier hasn't played super well yet, and then he got hurt, but we'll see in the long run whether or not Terry Rozier fits into that mold. But like, they're a team where drop coverage might be a little bit of an issue. But then you look at teams like Boston. Boston is a team where, like, man, you could really bait them into their worst tendencies by running a super deep drop, right? And so that's where I kind of look at it as matchup dependent. But even within the 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 view of like a Miami matchup or a New York matchup, I still think that might be their best chance to win and just be like Jalen's going to average Jalen Brunson's going to average thirty eight a game, but we're going to take everybody else out of this thing and then we'll be good enough on offense. And again, the nuclear offense is the main thing that makes it work. They beat Minnesota. Their drop coverage did work. I'm not going to lie about that, but it was close for the most part through three and a half quarters. It was close in the fourth quarter. They brought it back a little bit close, although Milwaukee, I thought, let their foot off the gas a little bit. But there at the end of the third quarter, they went on an absolutely nuclear offensive run where Dame and Giannis just time and time again were able to develop and create incredibly high-quality shots. That's the formula. Defend as well as you can, which the strength of your personnel is your interior defense, so it makes sense to do it the way they did. Then on the other end of the floor, you need to be a nuclear potent offense in order to uh, cover the rest of that gap there. On the Wolves front, I was so disappointed in their offensive process in this game because they played right into Milwaukee's hands by spamming pick and roll and bad isolation basketball. One of the things I'd like to see them do, and again, this is something I've talked about a lot when it comes to Minnesota, they don't have the best decision makers in the world. Mike Conley's a high-end decision maker, but when you get past that, it's like, Carl Towns can get a little carried away. Anthony Edwards can get a little carried away. You know, even Nikhil Alexander-Walker can get a little carried away. They can take some tough shots. And they can play, like, Jaden McDaniels even can sometimes get a little tunnel vision-y and take some bad shots, right? And so, like, specifically during that third quarter run, I, I just thought the Wolves played really poor offense. There wasn't a ton of, like, action that they were running. It was a lot of, like, brute force style of basketball, which paid directly played directly into Milwaukee's strengths. Again, in that situation, if you allow Milwaukee to sit back, you're going to have issues. But if you have more ball in player movement, you can have it be more likely that Brooke Lopez has to direct attention elsewhere. And that's where you can maybe move him further out of the coverage and maybe you can find more opportunities to generate higher quality offense. But that's going to be an issue with the Wolves. And that's been an issue for the Wolves throughout this season is their ability to consistently execute in the half court on offense. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It is an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. CJ will bring his A-list comedian buddies to keep it light and fire off some hoops takes. Plus, John will be inviting current and former NBA players, friends, and teammates to join the show as well to give their unfiltered accounts of what really goes on in the league from a player's perspective. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. 
Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Ever needed something for your home but don't have the cash or credit to pay for it? Let's chat about how to get what you need when you need it. You can do that at errands. Yep, you can rent to own appliances like washers, dryers, or refrigerators, furniture for your living room or bedroom, even tech like computers and gaming systems. Plus, errands has great brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. And you can pay a little at a time until it's your forever. But here's the cool part. Say you're renting a 65-inch smart TV and decide you don't want it anymore. At Aaron's, you can return it at any time. Or maybe you want to downsize to a 55-inch or upgrade to an 86-inch. You can do that too. Return it, then take home something new. Life's always changing. With Aaron's, your stuff can change right along with it. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. So check out your nearest Aaron's store or visit Aaron's.com for more details. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. See your local store for details. All right, let's talk some basketball. So I thought this game, in a lot of ways, turned in that late first half run from the Denver Nuggets. Because, again, Denver is a team that you desperately want to avoid a close, slow-down, half-court execution match at the end of a game. And Golden State, in particular, especially as of late, has kind of struggled in that specific department, at least in the last couple of months. And so for them in particular, you know, kind of the game was starting to follow a path that you hope for as a Warriors fan in that environment, right? Like you get big uh, performance from Clay Thompson in that first half. Steph's not playing particularly well, although the Denver defense was very much geared towards slowing him down. A couple of early matchup things that I thought were interesting. They put Aaron Gordon on Jonathan Kaminga. And so if they set any sort of Steph Kaminga screen, they were able to just switch it. But then on the ball, they had KCP just being super physical with him, following him all around the court. And then any other kind of screening action, they were basically like hedging or trapping everything. So making the game really, really hard on Steph and like very uh, uh, attentive to the details, not making a lot of mistakes. And so they make Steph have a somewhat rough first half. And now, now Steph still has the superpower to hit some tough shots in those environments. And he got some some solid looks in that first half that he wasn't able to make really throughout the whole game that he wasn't able to make. And we'll talk about that later. But in terms of controlling what you can control as a defense, I thought Denver did a really nice job. But the big part of it was Aaron Gordon can actually hold up really well against Jonathan Kaminga on an island. He's got the athletic tools to kind of hang with him. We're going to spend a lot of time talking about Aaron Gordon tonight because I thought he was incredible. And then in addition to that, in any sort of off-ball situation, Aaron Gordon was able to help around the basket. And that Really uh, a junked up Golden State's offense, except for the stretch where Clay Thompson was hitting shots. But again, based on how the game was progressing early, you're kind of stoked as a Warriors fan, right? You're up 15. Like, you're a 
hilariously good third quarter team. In February, the Golden State Warriors had a plus 23 net rating in third quarters. That's when they blow games open, just like the old Warriors used to. That's kind of like what you're hoping for there. As you get into the half around a double-digit lead, you blow the game open in the third quarter, and then who cares about having to execute with Denver in the half court? But, unfortunately, Denver decided at the late first half stretch there to completely erase Golden State's lead with just a bunch of like high-level shot-making. And, and for the record, in this particular stretch of the game, there were some execution things with Denver where, especially in that second half, where Golden State was giving up easy shots just because Denver was executing extremely well. But in that late first half stretch, I actually thought Golden State defended pretty well. Like Nicole Jokic made a contested pick and pop three at the top of the key. Jabal Murray made an in- insanely like difficult uh, fadeaway over his left shoulder over Andrew Wiggins. Aaron Gordon just ran the floor really well and got a post-up mismatch against Klay Thompson and went up and got an and one. And then there before the end of the half, just a dribble handoff drifting three to his left for Jamal Murray that ties the game and on on the other end of the floor the Warriors you know honestly they just missed some shots like Brandon Podziemski missed a wide open corner three out of the left Clay Thompson missed a wide open three at the top of the key but other than that they defended pretty well and again Steph wasn't able to make those like superhero shots that he's accustomed to making right and so all of a sudden we go from the Warriors being up I think they led by as much as 16 in that second quarter to now it's a tie game and then we come out in that third quarter stretch And again, Golden State's been out executing everybody in that setting, but Denver just strangled the pace of the game, played beautiful offense, won the quarter 30 to 26. And then in the fourth quarter, they just completely shut down the Warriors' offense. I thought Nikola Jokic did a beautiful job of playing Draymond's passing angles, just kind of like reading plays before they happen and getting in front of them. Again, one of Nikola Jokic's best defensive attributes is just his IQ. He can just see things before they happen. And then again, Aaron Gordon on the back line, blowing everything up. And again, like, Steph, this is one of those environments where Denver's just a better team, but Steph has the superpower to potentially overcome that, and it just was one of those nights where he wasn't able to make those shots. And then, again, especially there in that fourth quarter stretch, I thought the Warriors were really, really competing on the defensive end. And they have personnel. Draymond's battling. Like, Andrew Wiggins is battling on the ball. They're flying around in rotation. They're doing everything they can. But, like, there's a certain hopelessness that you run into playing against Denver. They have reached a level of unguardability. And so I've talked about this specific dynamic a million times on this show as it pertains to what makes Denver so difficult to guard. But I wanted to kind of dive a little bit deeper into two specific uh, dynamics that take place for Denver on the offensive end of the floor and what makes them so hard to guard. And that is disguising their actions and then preloaded counters. So those are the two concepts I want to get into tonight. First, disguising their actions. And all you have to do to look for uh, a great example of this to start with was the first bucket that Denver had in this game, which was an Aaron Gordon kind of like contested in traffic layup right in, uh, right in front of the rim uh, out of a, a off-ball action that they ran. So on this play, they uh, the Nuggets get a stop, and Nicole Jokic is bringing the ball up the floor. And he's bringing it up point guard style, and he's coming up with a good amount of pace. And as he brings the ball up the floor, obviously Draymond's getting ready to pick him up. Andrew Wiggins is on uh, um, Jamal Murray, and Brandon Podziemski is on Michael Porter Jr. And as Nicole Jokic kind of gets up the floor, he turns his back, and he gets ready, and you're just expecting to see a Jamal Murray dribble handoff, right? Now, again, 
what are you doing defensively in that situation? What most teams will do that have that kind of personnel, a really good post defender like Draymond or ball screen defender like Draymond and a really good on-ball defender like Wiggins, what they want to do is Andrew Wiggins wants to beat Jamal Murray over the top of the screen as best as he can. Because if he can compete over the top of that screen, it will make it so that Draymond doesn't have to step over. And if Draymond doesn't have to step over, he can stay home on Jokic and they can kind of shut the action down, right? So again, that's a really difficult job. This is a job that so many players in the league struggle with, that on-ball screen navigation piece, right? And so Andrew, Andrew Wiggins has his head turned to the left to where Nikola Jokic is, and Jamal Murray's in front of him, and he's getting ready to fight over the top of that screen. But all of a sudden, here comes Michael Porter Jr. He comes up from the corner, and he sets a back screen on Wiggins. Doesn't hit him that much, but hits him just enough to kind of knock him off balance, and Wiggins has to turn and chase Jamal Murray. Now Jamal Murray has beat Wiggins' back door because Andrew Wiggins got back screen, right? Now uh, uh, Jamal Murray's rolling to the rim, Obviously, Nikola Jokic is never going to miss something like that when he breaks open. Hits Jamal Murray on the back cut. Draymond Green has to drop down to help on Jamal Murray. It's an easy drop-off pass to Aaron Gordon in front of the rim, and he lays it in. Point there being, you're gearing up to stop one of the most unguardable actions in the league, which is the Jamal Murray-Nikola Jokic two-man game. And that's just a decoy. That's not actually what they're doing. They're actually running an off-ball action using Michael Porter Jr. to get Jamal Murray going backdoor away from where the dribble handoff was going to be. That's a great example of disguising actions. And that's something that Denver will do. They never will. You know, we talked about this in the earlier video today about Minnesota and some of the issues they were having against Milwaukee's drop coverage. And one of the issues was they were just kind of running it up the floor and setting a ball screen and going. Or... This guy likes his matchup. He's just going to go and drive into the help. And it really makes it easier for the defense to load up on you because there's not really a whole lot happening in terms of like ball and player movement before you run your you know core action, whatever ball screen or ISO post up it is, right? With Denver, they are essentially like have, uh, putting you in a predicament where you can't actually load up on any one action because if you do, they are prepared to do something else. And often... They will use their core actions as decoys to get other guys open. The second piece that I wanted to hit on was the idea of preloaded counters. What this is, any single time that you run an action, there is a defensive scheme that the uh, that the defense is going to implement in that specific situation. So, for instance, whether it's a deep drop, whether it's kind of like a more mid-level drop, whether it's a high drop with like kind of a show, whether it's a hedge and recover, whether it's a trap, well, like there's a, a number of different things you can do. And then even off ball situations, maybe you're switching off ball screens. Maybe you're pre-switching when a guy's going up to set a ball screen, you're sending a different player up to defend the ball screen. There's all these different things you can do, right? And specifically with Denver, that's one of the ways that like teams will, teams will come up with gimmicks to try to, or I shouldn't say gimmicks, but different defensive strategies to take away Denver's actions. So for instance, like uh, a Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic two-man game, maybe you're tagging from the weak side to try to, uh, get to uh, to Nicole Jokic when he catches on the roll. Maybe you're blitzing Jamal Murray on the ball screen. Maybe you're doubling Nicole Jokic in the post up. Well, Denver has seen all of these coverages so many times that they just have a baked encounter to beat you when you do that. And so I wanted to provide two examples to uh, kind of demonstrate this concept to you guys. So the first one was a Contavious call uh, Contavious Caldwell Pope backdoor cut on Steph Curry for a layup. So on this play, 
Steph Curry is guarding Contavious Caldwell-Pope. Nikola Jokic has the ball on the left elbow. This was in the first half. On this play, Steph Curry knows KCP's coming off of a dribble handoff from Nikola Jokic. So one of the things that Steph does is he top locks Contavious Caldwell-Pope to try to deny him the use of the screen. What that means is if pretend Jokic is behind me and the camera is KCP, I'm positioning myself almost between and he was being physical on the ball and he was basically trying to stop KCP from using the dribble handoff. So there is a baked in preloaded counter for Denver in that situation. Those of you guys listening can probably take a guess. KCP just gets a little physical with Steph and just cuts back door. Now, here's the thing. Typically, in a situation like that, you'd have a rim protector back there. But that's not the case because Nikola Jokic is the center and Draymond Green is up on him up at the elbow. And so as a result, KCP just kind of walks up like he's going to go to the DHO and he just knows, like, Steph's denying me. My natural counter here is to cut back door. And of course, Nikola Jokic, he's sitting there staring at KCP, waiting for him to come off the dribble handoff, sees him cut back door, throws the pass over the top. KCP is right there. And then obviously, in the event that, you know, let's say Jonathan Kaminga steps up to help out of the back line, they already know. Aaron Gordon knows. I'm sitting there in the dunker spot. And I don't don't even think Aaron Gordon was in the dunker spot on this play, but I'm just providing an example. So let's pretend KCP cuts back door on Steph, and you have Jonathan Kaminga step over and help. Aaron Gordon knows. As soon as he steps over, I just jump. Just jump up near the rim. And KCP knows... If I turn around and there's help, I'm just floating it up around the basket, and it's a big target with Aaron Gordon because he's such an excellent you know, vertical spacer that they can beat you with the lob dunk like that. And that was actually the second example that I was going to provide. It was the Aaron Gordon dunk off the baseline there in the end of the game, towards the end of the game in the fourth quarter. All it was, Jamal Murray coming off a ball screen. There's a pass to Nikola Jokic in the roll. They step up to help. I think it was Kaminga steps up to help. On Nikola Jokic in the role, Jokic literally one times the pass, meaning like didn't didn't like turn to make a read. Like he just knew. He just knew. Here comes Kaminga. This is the read. I just throw it up there. And obviously, I, I think he actually threw a, a, a pass that was a little bit too far out in front of the rim. But Aaron Gordon's such a disgustingly good athlete that he's able to like rise up and just dunk it anyway because that's what Aaron Gordon does, right? But the point is, is like be- between not not just the basketball continuity of this group, meaning they've played together for so long, but the IQ of this group and just how smart they are and how well they know how to play off of each other. They just have all of these, they disguise everything. They uh, have all of these built-in counters to go against whatever you you throw at them defensively. And then to make matters worse, let's say you do everything right and you make every rotation just like a perfect windshield wiper sequence and nobody's open. Well, then Jamal Murray will just make some really tough turnaround jump shot. Or Nikola Jokic will just be like, all right, fine, I guess I got to take Draymond Green to the basket out of the post and try to shoot a little hook shot. And guess what? Jamal Murray, if you're ranking tough shot makers in the NBA, I haven't really thought about it, but Jamal Murray's way up there on that list. And then in terms of like on an island scoring, Nikola Jokic is about as efficient as you'll find in the league. So they have this beautifully well-oiled offense that is inevitable, that is incredibly difficult to guard. You literally feel helpless watching it. And then if you do everything right, they might just make a tough shot anyway. And and, it literally is hopeless. And like Warriors fans, you can relate to this. This is what it was like for the most part during the, the Warriors dynasty. Now, 
It wasn't quite to the same extent as Denver because I think Golden State was more of a two-way team. Golden State was like one of the best defenses in the league every single year. Now Denver's been been a very good defense this year, but like you guys remember the feeling? It was like run drop coverage on Steph. He's gonna just hit pull up threes all night long. Leave him on an island. He can beat his man off the dribble and uh, uh, and e- like either create his own shot for himself or draw multiple defenders and 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 uh, pass out of it. Throw a blitz at him. Throw a hedge at him. He's going to hit the roll man every single time, and it's Draymond Green coming down the middle of the floor. He's one of the best short roll passers in the league. And at that point in time, during the peak of the Warriors dynasty, it was Clay Thompson, the second best shooter in the world, who was unbelievably deadly off the ball. Andre Guadala, who's one of the smartest players in the league, right? Like, that was the predicament they put you in. And then, oh, by the way, Kevin Durant was out there too. Like, like, so, and there was a similar type of thing where if you happened to get in front of the action and stop everything... They had two guys that just could beat you over the top with crazy tough shot making. So, like Warriors fans, again, you can you can relate to this, but there is an inevitability. Uh, there's inevitability. There's a hopelessness that Denver puts you in, and I thought tonight was was just just a, a resounding example of that on Denver's front. And again, like you know, I've seen I've seen a lot of Denver pessimism this year. Like I even saw I can't remember exactly who it was that I saw on Twitter. The other day, talking about how like even their effective field goal percentage is down to like middle of the pack this year after it was like number one in the league last year, and I just don't care. I just don't care. Like a time and time again, when it comes down to it, in any sort of high leverage moment, they're able to tighten the screws defensively and they're able to execute to a near perf- near perfection on the offensive end of the floor, and, and that's why I keep saying like. In the event that they're healthy, I just I would just be surprised if they lost. I have not seen any team in the league that can reach a two-way height in the slow-down, intense, physical playoff environment the way that Denver can. Every other team in the league has significant question marks in a way that Denver does not. The only thing that you can really point to is their lack of depth, which wasn't an issue last year when they stayed healthy, and that's why I keep adding the healthy qualifier. But again, the same can be said for any of these teams. There's not a team out there that's in the top five or six championship contenders in the league that can afford an injury to a starter. You know, like Aaron Gordon, he had an incredible night tonight. Aaron Gordon is legitimately, I was thinking about this while I was putting my notes together. Obviously, Aaron Gordon is not a superstar. Like he's not a uh, a guy that we put in the same echelon with the great forwards in the league. But when you really put it down to like what his role is on this team, meaning like, they don't need him to be some high-level offensive engine, but just operating in the role of what the big forward typically does, which means on the offensive end of the floor, matchup attacking and vertical spacing. And then on the defensive end of the floor, it's the ability to defend bigger forwards on the perimeter, the ability to defend bigger forwards and bigs in the post, the ability to be a impactful backline defender, meaning like helping at the rim in uh, um, like situations where he's got to tag rollers or help on drives, but also cleaning up the defensive glass and potentially having to rotate with athleticism back out to the weak side to a shooter. If you just kind of take the big forward responsibilities, not the higher level stuff that superstars have to take care of, but if you just look at the bigger forward responsibilities, there aren't many players in the league that are better in his position group than him at that. I was thinking about it earlier today. It's like, like maybe, maybe, maybe like Giannis is probably for sure in that group, right? Um, like the five nights of y- a year that LeBron tries really hard, but even that feels like a stress to, a stretch to me. Like there aren't, uh, it's hard to think of a forward that plays that four position 
who's better at low man defensive responsibilities and off ball offensive responsibilities out of the four spot. Like the one big nitpick with him is like, he's an iffy shooter, but like time and time again, that just hasn't mattered. Like the, the Warriors ignored him at the three point line all night to, uh, tonight. And it just didn't matter. So, so like, <laughs> again, like and there's not a team out there that can afford an injury, but like, to me that that's an, that's an unfair criticism to throw at Denver for that reason. They feel inevitable to me. I, I, like I said, I just, I'm such a big fan of this, of this, uh, uh, Denver Nuggets team on the Warriors front. Again, Steph and Dre had bad nights. You need them to overcome your limitations in a matchup like this. And Steph couldn't make his tougher three point looks today. I think he was one for 10 from three and Draymond had six turnovers. So like, it's going to be tough to win a game like that in that circumstance. But here's the thing. And there's a reason why I have the Warriors in the long shot tier. I don't think they're even capable of beating Denver in a series. Um, that doesn't mean they can't win the title. Like you go for it because what if Denver does suffer some sort of injury? What if there is some sort of confluence of events where you happen to catch some favorable matchups and then you get to the finish line? Like you go for it and they have certainly have that capability. But like at the end of the day, they just can't execute in the half court nearly as well as Denver on either end of the floor. And that, that to me is where that pessimism comes from. All right, guys, that is all I have for tonight. As always, I appreciate you guys for supporting the show. We'll be back tomorrow, breaking down a couple more games from tonight's slate, as well as our power rankings. Then just a heads up, we're taking Tuesday off. I'm doing a day trip. There's a, um, this really cool ancient volcano that's in Northern Arizona. Uh, that's a uh, um, place called Flagstaff. It's where Northern Arizona university is. And there's some skiing up there. And so my wife and I, and some friends are taking a day trip in Tucson. We do these things called day trips where you literally drive four hours, wake up at 4am and then we'll go uh, ski for eight hours and then drive four hours home. So I will, I literally will be gone all day on Tuesday, but we'll be back on Wednesday uh, with our usual game breakdowns and stuff. As always, I appreciate you guys. I'll see you tomorrow. Let's chat about how to get what you need for your home when you don't have a lot of cash or credit. You can do that at Aaron's. Rent to own appliances, furniture, and tech from top brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. But say you don't need it anymore, no problem. At Aaron's, you can return your product at any time or even upgrade it for something new. Life's always changing. With Aaron's, your stuff can change right along with it. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. Approval isn't guaranteed, and some restrictions apply. See your local store for details. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. 
I'm John Seifer. And I'm Jerry O'Shea. We spent over 30 years in the CIA uncovering global conspiracies. Conspiracies aren't just a theory to us, which is why we started our podcast, Mission Implausible. Everyone has questions about conspiracy theories, but with our background, we can actually answer those questions. Anyone can just start screaming about microchips and Jewish space lasers, but it's our mission to remove the bull and get down to what's real. Listen to Mission Implausible on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.